Welcome to the Botstuber Austrian American Podcast, produced by the Botstuber Institute for Austrian American Studies. We feature interviews with experts examining the historic relationship between the United States and Austria. My name is Jonathan Singerton, and I'm your host for today. On December 4th, 1917, US President Woodrow Wilson delivered his State of the Union address. In it, he called for a declaration of war on Austria-Hungary. Three days later, Congress resolved that the United States was at war with Austria-Hungary. Join us today is Kurt Bednar, an Austrian lawyer turned historian who has worked extensively on the singular moment in Austrian-American history. Dr. Bednar completed his PhD at the University of Vienna in 2012 with a dissertation on Austrian immigration to the United States from 1900 to 1930. On the 100th anniversary of the declaration of war between the US and Austria-Hungary, Dr. Bednar published his book, The Paper War Between Washington and Vienna, 1917-1918. In it, he recounts how the war between the US and Austria-Hungary took place more on paper than on battlefields. He joins us today to talk about how his research for the book went, his findings, and his views on one of the most pivotal moments in Austrian-American relations. So, thank you for being here today. Um, I'm wondering, first of all, if you can tell us about yourself and what your research is broadly, what you're interested in historically. Uh, well, uh, history has been my second choice. Uh, actually, I studied law, uh, graduated in 74, uh, earned money for the next 30 odd years, and then decided that I want to do something in history as well, because that was always my favorite subject in school. So um, I approached uh, a professor at the University of Vienna that was recommended to me, Josef Eimer, um, and uh, we sat together and uh, we talked about options and he found out or I told him that my wife is American and uh, so he said, why don't you write a dissertation on Austrian emigration to America? I said, yeah, fine. Uh, and we narrowed it down to the uh, period from 1900 to 1930, and there we were. That was the topic of my dissertation, of my thesis. I finished the thesis in 2012. Um, in doing this thesis, I came across two remarkable, I thought, remarkable thoughts. First was that um, the, the immigration from the monarchy, uh, basically from the monarchy, uh, because the war stopped it all and afterwards it was thinned out because of American legislation, um, was huge. There were hundreds of thousands of Austrians that emigrated to, to, to America and basically they were treated badly. Uh, and I thought, well, uh, we have immigration now in Austria uh, in, in, in this new millennium and how do we treat the people that, that come to us uh, on whatever basis? And the second thing that struck, uh, struck me that was um, the, when, when the, the First World War broke out, those hundred thousands of uh, migrants um, couldn't go back, although most of them wanted because the remigration was huge. It was about a third or even, even half, depending upon the economical situation. Uh, people wanted to, wanted to work seasonally in America, wanted to go back. In, as of August uh, 1914, they couldn't. So what happened to them? And uh, in the end, I was afraid I would find out that um, some Austrians uh, that had become American citizens in America, meanwhile, 
uh, and were transferred to the European theater, war theater in, in the autumn of uh, 1918 might have shot Austrians on the other side of the front. It would have been uh, human, uh, humanly speaking, a disaster, of course. Uh, so far, I haven't. Find, I found out that there were some. Um, the Americans made some prisoners, uh, mostly prisoners, but it is not a big thing. But um, in the end, I came across this whole thing: the um, First World War, what happened to the Austrians in America, and uh, I ended up with this uh, book you uh, approached me about, uh, the Paper War, because uh, in doing this research. Uh, part in Vienna, but most of it actually in Washington, D.C. and in other places in America. Um, although America uh, declared war on Austria-Hungary in December 1917, and it, as we know, the war ended in November uh, um, 18, although I have to add on the th November 3rd for us, not on November 11 as for the rest of the world, um, it was never really much fighting military, actually it was diplomatic uh, fighting, and thus I came across the title Paper War. Although, and that's first thought, um, I owe this title to Austrian Foreign Minister Ottokar Czernin, who said in a, in a memorandum in March 1918, um, a separate peace with America is useless, useless and with America with, with whom uh, we fight a, a war on paper only, a paper war. Very clever title. Um, talking about your book then, what is the main message you, you found from your research? Um, well, um, I would say one main message is, and it's um, once you're in, in a subject like this, you just dig in and you, it's a work in progress, uh, I'm afraid. But <laughs> right now I would say one, one message would be that it's, um, it's maybe uh, the, the historiographical thesis that has been valid and dominating the, the discussion that um, Austria-Hungary fell apart by itself, by herself, can't be upheld, I think, because the American, the American influence was huge, much huger than we, than we realize. Uh, you have to see that in, in, the, in, when, when, in, in the fall of 17, when uh, the, the central powers made a lot of uh, victories. Uh, the last one was actually the, the Caporetto disaster for the Italians. Uh, so the Italians were more or less out. Uh, Russians were out since the beginning of 17. So 17 was a very good year for the Central Powers. Uh, however, one year later, uh, they were the losers. So what, had, what happened between December 17 and, and November 18? Um, well, Wilson made his 14 points, as we know, point 10 was con concerning Austria-Hungary, and then it's, it's like a one-way street, uh, and it, uh, it was mainly the Czech uh, issue, uh, the Czech issue as it was handled in the United States of America, may more or less produced the final result, the Declaration of Independence of, of Czechoslovakia on, in October, uh, it's actually 100 years ago now, uh, and uh, it was all diplomatical because Declaration of Independence was here and Austria-Hungary dissolved, that's right. But why did it dissolve? Because it was the, the, the nationality issue was supported, was supported heavily by, by America. And there's one, one sentence that, that makes you think. Um, in in, in um, supporting the, the point 10, 
Walter Lippmann, the American journalist and advisor of Wilson, he said our policy should be to encourage uh, nationalistic disturbances, uh, but in the end refrain from the final outcome of it, which would be the dissolution of, of the Austrian-Hungarian monarchy. So, uh, sort of, uh, yeah, put the house on fire, but then call in time the fire brigade. Uh, but the fire brigade never came. <laughs> and then the best example that they, that there's when something wrong is my, the thing that I discovered, uh, and nobody seems, seems to know uh, until, until I discovered that, this, this uh, fantastic uh, idea in, in the fall of 1918, this mid-democratic mid-European Union that was suddenly appearing in Washington and in New York, in America, a mid-European democratic mid-European Union, and uh, once you read about it, you think, what, what's that? Why, why don't, don't we know anything about it? Well, it dissolved a couple of weeks later after it was founded. Masaryk was the leader of the democratic union, but... but uh, he, he got to Czechoslovakia. He was he was satisfied. He wasn't interested in the union anymore. The Slavic uh, nationalities and the Italians uh, fought against each other. So there was another reason why they why the union didn't survive. Plus, Austria and Hungary were never invited to to join the union. So it was clearly understandable why this union didn't work out. But just the idea that. There were people around in, in America and saying, okay, look, there's a vacuum in, in, in Central Europe. We have to do something about it. Clearly shows that, yeah, my theory that the fire brigade came too late. If, if Maybe it should have been the fire brigade, but it, it didn't work out. And we are suffering 100 years later. We are still suffering from that. Because if you look at Middle Europe now, it, it's still partitioned. Uh, lots of small countries. Uh, so an open issue. Thank you. A very interesting analogy um, with the American influence in Central Europe. How did the Americans, in your view, um, try to set the house on fire, as it were? My opinion is that the Americans didn't, didn't really set it on fire, but they allowed people, other people, to, to, to set it on fire, um, call it negligence. Uh, the Americans didn't have any idea uh, about Bohemia, uh, the Czech people, Slovak people, nothing. Why should they? Uh, that was the reason why President Wilson asked his uh, aide, uh, Colin House, to, to form a group uh, that should gather information about Europe, because he felt that, uh, rightly felt, that uh, our, in, our influence will be deciding, decisive in the war. Uh, everybody else is half dead, so we come with fresh forces. We will, be, we will bring the decision to the war. Reasonably, of course, we should get some information what we, are, what we will be doing uh, at the coming peace conference. So that's a good part. <laughs> but then uh, the, the problem was, uh, where do we get the information from? So, and this was totally one-sided because diplomatic relations were broke uh, since April 17, so they, they couldn't approach Austrian sources. When this one man in, in the... Uh, so when House set up the, this, this group, this working group, this group of experts about the Europe, called the inquiry, um, he, he called on, on American experts like Isaiah Bauman, a geographer. He didn't have any idea about uh, Europe. And, and uh, Charles Seymour, he was a professor in, 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 in Harvard, I think. And uh, when, when uh, uh, Bauman approached uh, Seymour, uh, Europe, Austria-Hungary, uh, Seymour was, was the leader, became the leader of the working group uh, dealing with Austria-Hungary. Seymour, Robert Kerner, uh, Lund and Evans, uh, uh, 
Seymour said, I don't know anything about it. So, so Bauman said, get yourself, make yourself an expert, read about it. So actually admitting that they didn't know anything. So they were dependent on sources. So they looked around and where did they find the sources? Okay, one source was Robert Kerner. Robert Kerner was a very uh, uh, interesting man. He, he, although he had a German name, he carried a German name, he was a Czech nationalist. Um, another one uh, was, was uh, Charles Pergler. Charles Pergler was um, a Bohemian excellent. Uh, he was uh, from Iowa, uh, a lawyer. He, he met Masaryk in 1912 when there was a so worldwide Sokol meeting in Prague. Uh, he was an admirer, admirer of, of, of Masaryk. So there we were. Uh, uh, Perkler wrote in articles on behalf of the Bohemian independence. Um, he, he was a good networker uh, that helped the Czech case uh, a lot. And uh, my, my claim is that the Americans allowed people like Charles Perkler influence American decisions. Also, Masaryk was very lucky to have uh, an American um, as, an, as a uh, helper, uh, supporter, uh, the industrialist uh, Charles Crane. Uh, Crane was very important because he was uh, a big spender for the democratic case. Um, he was very influential with, uh, with Woodrow Wilson. And he arranged the, the summit between Masaryk and Wilson in June 1918. Uh, he, he made sure, uh, he, he told Wilson, you have to meet this man because he knows much about Russia. So Wilson invited Masaryk to the White House and it's a funny thing because uh, Wilson wanted to know uh, what, what, whatever Masaryk knew about Russia because Masaryk, after leaving Austria-Hungary at, uh, at the first phase of the war, uh, going to England and, 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 and Switzerland um, and then finally to the, to the Czech uh, Legion in, in Russia, when the revolution broke out, he, he knew a lot about uh, the Russian um, world uh, but he was so determined that Austria, that Austria should be Austria the Länder, is, is, that Austria is, 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 that gets his independence, that in this summit he, he tried to convince uh, Wilson, uh, you have to do something about Austria, and Wilson wanted to hear something about Russia. So those two men never came really uh, together. But uh, psychologically, this summit of course helped because it was in the news, it was in the papers, it helped the Czech cause. So that's my theory, my thesis. Um, America didn't, didn't set the Habsburg monarchy on fire, that would be wrong, but uh, it looked on when, when other people uh, twindled, when other people... Yeah, set it ablaze. Correct. They were the bystanders of the, right. the Habsburg endeavor. Right. Wow, very, very good. It might be good for our listeners to have an idea of the timeline that you're dealing with um, in, in the same sense. So, you know, where do these major people come in? So some of the people you mentioned knew each other in 1912. Was this really where... Um, you know, your story starts, or is this? Where do you begin with your book in terms of the time period? Well, uh, the um, it starts a little bit earlier because I, I try to um, uh, explain how how a, a relationship between those two countries could deteriorate so much that that the Americans uh, were helpless uh, in, in how to deal with the, with the monarchy. So I'll, I'll try to uh, uh, dig up some things that happened before the First World War, and then I go into detail about these two main characters that were the latest diplomatic representatives of both countries. Uh, in Austria, we know Konstantin um, Dumba, the last uh, Austrian ambassador to Washington, quite well. 
but nobody knows about the American ambassador to Vienna, the last one, Frederick Penfield. Uh, he's lost in history somehow. What did those two people do? Did they help the relationship well? Uh, Dumba couldn't do much because he was ousted in September 15 um, on charges uh, by Robert Lansing, the, Austri uh, the, the American Foreign Secretary, uh, that he helped stage uh, strikes in American ammunition uh, factories. Um, so th since September 15, Austria was not represented in Washington on, on, the, high, on the highest level. On the other side, uh, Frederick Penfield was in Vienna. He stayed until April 17, when the, uh, Austria broke diplomatic relations with America, um, because America declared war on the ally, uh, Austrians, Austria's ally, Germany. Um, so this is more or less the uh, one, one full chapter uh, explaining how those two main these ambassadors uh, dealt with, the, with all, all the issues. Penfield was a very interesting character. Um, when one of the, one of his uh, his requests in Vienna, it was in I think in December 15, December 14, I think. He wrote to Austrian Foreign Secretary Berthold. It must have been 14 because Berthold was. Sub, sub, uh, Ousted then afterwards, and he said, "Look, I, I, as an ambassador in Vienna, I have to have my gardener and my, my servants. And if you take it, take them all them away to the Austrian army, I can't I can't act as ambassador." So he wrote to Bertrand and said, "Please, could you give me back my, my good gardener because he's half deaf and he won't be a good soldier, but he's a perfect gardener." And Bertrand uh, complied, and so he got Penfield got his, his, his gardener back. It's a very amusing story because uh, Penfield must have been a very humorous person. So this is uh, one of the many anecdotes that are in the books and should explain. This is more or less the frame. Uh, I start with 13, then I'll try to explain what happened in 14. Um, but it, re it really gets into detail in 17 when, when things get different, get out of the way. Because in the first phase, of course, America was neutral. On the other hand, one has to admit that the neutrality, the American neutrality, was rather on paper only. But they were neutral, and there were no American soldiers involved in the European uh, war theater. So 1917 is really the yeah. uh, the crucial year, and then the beginning of the paper war, as such. Right. That's correct. Uh, uh, as as um, I mean, it, it it starts with another uh, strange strange story. Uh, as I said, Dumba was ousted in September 15. The Austrians were uh, how you would say in, in Vienna, uh, in, in Viennese, angefressen, uh, were just... Uh, Chewed out, spat out. And yeah, they, they were just finished with America. <laughs> so they didn't, um, didn't uh, uh, nominate a successor. But uh, somehow in the fall of 16, they changed their mind and they found uh, Tarnowski, who, is, uh, uh, who was a, a carrier diplomat, uh, Polish Polish descent, typically Austrian uh, Austrian Hungarian diplomat because he was Polish, but he was Austrian Polish. Um, he traveled to he, he got the agreement from from Washington, traveled to uh, to America, arrived in New York on February first, not knowing what had happened in between because the uh, the, the Germans had declared uh, the unlimited uh, submarine uh, war, and uh, so he was he was totally surprised. Um, the, the Germans. Had their, had their way, the Austrians sort of complied unwillingly or half unwillingly. So the, the situation in February, uh, what, what, what is going to, uh, America to do with, with this Tarnowski? Will, they, will Wilson receive him or will he not receive him? 
Well, in the end, uh, Tarnowski was never received by Wilson, so he was nominated ambassador, but he never became installed. And that was sort of one piece in this paperwork, because there was no ambassador, then the diplomatia, uh, dip, uh, relations broke down altogether, diplomats were gone, and then uh, we have the eight months between the war declaration on Germany and the war declaration on Austria uh, between April and December 17, where nobody really knew what to do with the Austrians in America. Were there enemy aliens or not? They were not, uh, legally speaking, formally speaking, they were not enemy aliens. Um, and it started also, the Americans started to differentiate. Okay, they, we have Austrians there, but look, let's see, who are those Austrians? Aha, they are German-Austrians. German, aha, they speak German, okay. <laughs> Germanic-Austrians, Czech-Austrians, um, uh, Southern Slav-Austrians. And somebody told the Americans, okay, the Czechs are not so f so happy with, the Aust with, with, the, with Vienna. So in the end, they differentiated between Czech-Austrians and Germanic-Austrians, they treated the Czech-Austrians uh, a little bit better than the Germanic-Austrians. So this is how it happened and how it developed. Amazing. Um, we have an ambassador that never was and a forgotten ambassador, but uh, do you feel that uh, the Habsburg monarchy and its relations to the US is a, is a story that is really neglected and a story that is often forgotten? And if so, do you think this is a story that should not be so neglected by the historical community? Both questions, yes. <laughs> uh, not as a surprise. Um, yeah, it, it somehow, I think, um, all of a sudden the Austrian-Hungarian monarchy was gone in 1918. And um, yeah, it, 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 uh, it disappeared silently uh, without much uh, noise, uh, I must say. And um, then quickly, 20 years afterwards, uh, we had the Hitler uh, episode, or long episode, sorry, and, and that brought the whole European theater in, in turmoil, another turmoil, and then the communists took over. So it took 100 years to finally wake up and say, okay, what was really happening and why are we in this bad situation right now? I think one of the brilliant ideas um, few brilliant ideas was that in 1976 the Austrian government installed um, two um, centers for Austrian studies and that where it all changed again that uh, renowned historians uh, Americans Austrians started to uh, to uh, research to research on the Austrian Hungarian monarchy uh, you know the names so it's it's uh, it, it's a, it is a success story that this whole thing, this whole matter was revived. And if you consider, for example, the one of the leading stories in The Economist uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, with the gravestone uh, of Austria-Hungary and the, um, the article, um, Charlemagne is the column in The Economist, says, what do we learn from the demise of the Austrian-Hungarian monarchy for today, for the European Union? Because if you if you look at things, you you could say you could say that Austrian-Hungarian monarchy was sort of a small European Union at at, the, at at her time. So, what what could we do, and um, what what we, could we do differently from hundred years ago? And the article says, as long as the um, organization uh, monarchy or the or the European Union treats the citizens well and takes care of the welfare, and as long as there is freedom and peace. Uh, that should be should be helpful, and I think um, if, if you can if you can look back on at the at the hundred years ago, of course there were nationality troubles in in the Austrian-Hungarian monarchy, but the real the sin uh, 
committed by, by Austria was to start the war. Uh, I must say, it, not start the war, but start a war, because it was certainly not in the mind of the Viennese politicians to start a world war, but, but it was a punishing war against Serbia. But nevertheless, it was started. They should have known that a war would endanger this construction, this monarchy, and they didn't have the courage and the strength to see that, or maybe they, they saw it, but they didn't realize the long-term changes. Nobody could have seen it, for what would happen in the next 100 years. But that, this might have been the, the problem. Had that not happened, or not in that way happened, the world would look different, of course, nowadays. Thank you. Um, my penultimate question to you is this. What was the most um, surprising or fun find during your research? Um, oh, difficult question, but uh, spontaneously answered. Uh, Mary Reinhardt was an American um, uh, crime author. Uh, uh, she was the husband of one of one American doctor. Uh, I must add that uh, at that time, um, the, the medical school of Vienna was was widely known and and. Uh, cherished, and thousands of, Amer obviously thousands of American doctors, even from Johns Hopkins, Baltimore, now it is one of the centers, of course, but 100 years ago, they, or 150 years ago, they came to Vienna. There was a, an outlet of the American Medical Society in, in Vienna, uh, and uh, many, many American doctors uh, were visiting, uh, studying in Vienna, doing courses in Vienna, and uh, were very glad to have these certificates coming back to America, and then we could say we, we started in Vienna. We are one exception: uh, the dentists. There was the other way around. The American dentists were always superior to the European dentists, but all the other fields, it was it was as I said, the uh, for example, medical Europeans were ahead, and uh, especially the Austrians. Mary Reinhardt was the the wife of one American doctor, and she was living in Vienna. And um, uh, she, she wrote, uh, after some time, uh, in, in a crime story about um, where she lived in Vienna, in Siebensterngasse, and, and it was uh, the Seven Star Street, of course, called in her novel. And she said, um, basically, uh, uh, before I left for Europe, I was determined um, uh, to explain my friends in America about Ypern in, in Belgium. And uh, and I managed somehow to uh, to pronounce it correctly and to explain uh, the situation there to my friends. I never achieved it the same way with uh, with uh, with Przemysl in the Austrian-Hungarian monarchy. And I think uh, to to be able to do that, you have to be born uh, in in this in this uh, country. That I think was a, a funny story. Uh, what, what did she have to say about um, Siebenstein Gasse? And no, she, it was it was uh, it, this crime story happened in the Seven Star ah, Street, uh, uh, but but she she sort of uh, said, uh, and even today, if you if you try to, ex to explain Przemysl, even Austrians can't pronounce it correctly and not write it correctly. It's a it's a nice town, uh, but um, and it was a very important uh, town for the Austrian-Hungarian monarchy because it was a stronghold against the Russians. You can visit it today, and uh, but it's all gone, of course. Okay. Lots of other funny stories in the books, but this is one, spontaneously. Great, great. No, fantastic to know. Um, do I mean, are there any other highlights you'd like to share with us, or anything, any remarks? Well, um, well, Dumba, Dumba was writing about uh, his experiences in in America, 
and he made some remarks on on the American people, on, on the American press, um, that I think are still uh, valid today. Uh, like uh, that, uh, if you look at the New York Times, you have the head story on the first page, and it's always a continuation on some page uh, further down in the in the in the newspaper, or that the Americans are. Don't care about foreign policy. They didn't care obviously 100 years ago. They don't care nowadays. Didn't change much, I think. Uh, and uh, Tumba had the impression, the same impression 100 years ago. It, it's a huge country, um, uh, now 50 states, and um, it's it's uh, probably too much of a challenge to ask them to know the difference between I don't know, Slovenia, Slovakia, and other tiny, tiny uh, countries in Europe, uh, why should they bother on, on one hand? On the other hand, it's, uh, yeah, if you, if you are getting mixed, if you're mixed up in, 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 in global politics, you should probably know better what you're doing. And if, if you allow me this final remark, um, um, they didn't know, they didn't actually know what they were doing uh, during the war, in this one critical year from 17 to 18, and they they didn't know enough about what they were doing in Paris at the Paris Peace Conference, which will be 100 years ago next year. And, and uh, maybe that's a good moment to, to come to the end. And I um, was uh, Stefan Zweig. Uh, he's a very um, mm -hmm. well-known author. And I think uh, I think we we Austrians should take care not to talk bad about Stefan Zweig because we say he's a pacifist, but before he was a pacifist, he was writing for the Kriegspressequartier, he was writing uh, war articles for the, for the... Well, other people did too. If you look at the, what, what the Americans did, uh, they were very honorable professors, uh, inquiry members or not inquiry members. Uh, we didn't talk about George Creel and the Com Committee on Public Information. Wilson did two things. He had the inquiry built up, this expert group, but also a, a gigantic propaganda machine. Um, and and uh, this George Creel, a journalist from Denver, he, he uh, approached uh, well-known American historians and geographers and said, well, write articles. We need messages, because Wilson had to explain to the American people why he he uh, entered the war after all. He, he, he got re-elected in November 16 on the, uh, under the slogan, uh, he kept us out of war. So half a year later, he declares war on Germany. Uh, he has a problem. He has to explain to these people why did we join the war. Okay, so it, it was propaganda. Stefan Zweig also uh, wrote in the first place propaganda, but I must say on a literary level, on a, so it was it was good literature in a way, but it was of course propaganda. Okay, Stefan Zweig wrote an essay um, years later um, about uh, the Paris Peace Conference, about the situation in April 1919 when Wilson threatened to leave the conference. And uh, of course, you know Stefan Zweig and his way of writing. It's, it's uh, but it, it's one decisive moment for Stefan Zweig, and he. He says, why, and, and he, was, he was adoring Wilson, and he, he said, like other Austrians, he said, he said, Mr. Wilson, we looked at you as a liberator, as a, as a well-meaning man, and uh, why did you not leave the conference? If you had left the conference, uh, as you threatened to do, mainly because the Italians were so uh, uh, 
reluctant and not, not helping at all. Uh, had you left the conference, the outcome would have been completely different. But you stayed, didn't go, and the other the European powers uh, overwhelmed you. And others said, but uh, Stefan Zweig on a literary level, that was his, his sin, so to speak, his, his fault, his main fault. Uh, gone was the Wilsonian moment, so to speak. From unknown diplomats to Stefan Zweig, I think it's been a very entertaining uh, episode and very, very good to talk to you. Um, thank you very, very much. The Botsteber Austrian American Podcast is produced by the Botsteber Institute for Austrian American Studies, which seeks to promote an understanding of the historic relationship between the United States and Austria, including the Habsburg Empire. To learn more about our grants, publications, events, and other programming, visit botsteberbias.org or find us on Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube.